Welcome again to another edition of the Southwest Climate Podcast. Mike Crimmins, how you doing? I haven't seen you in a while. Um, I'm good. Yeah, it's already March. I couldn't quite get my head around that. I'm already feeling monsoon season. I'm not there this month. You know, normally I would I would have run with that. We've got a lot to talk about with the winter. It's true. It's not even close. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I don't we know are. What it was. <laughs> by, by my estimate, we're somewhere in the vicinity of seventy to 80% of the way through the winter as defined by the total amount of precipitation. So we're, <laughs> we're, we're pretty darn close to its end. Wait, if you, you can finish early. So like, if you got to hundred percent precip, we would just call it good. <laughs> no, I mean, on average at this point in the winter, about 70% to 80% of the total rainfall for the winter has fallen. Oh, okay. You, you believe that it'll rain again. Well, I believe that it'll rain somewhere between, on average, uh, 20 and 30%. <laughs> That's my yes. gig. The point here is it's already March. Hard to believe. It's been rolling right through. And by my accounts, Mike, at least the last month, I'd sum it up in the following way. Coldish, windy, and dry. Yeah. Those adjectives, I'm not, I'm not a fan of those adjectives. <laughs> you're, not, you're, you're not glowing about any of those, uh, any of those things. This is such a whiner thing too. I'm kind of like ready for it to warm up. Well, it's been cold though, right? I mean, I'm not imagining that. Yeah, it's, yeah, we, we've definitely had some very cool nights. And um, I think on average have, it's been a little bit cooler. It's funny though, because it's just like, this is probably average for Tucson in the winter, <laughs> right? Feels cold. You know, which, which it really pains me to say that, you know, I came from the Northeast and even before coming to Tucson, like I really enjoyed the winter, but there's something about living in the Southwest that I think makes you a little soft. It's slightly cold-ish, cooler, and it feels cold. You know, I think something, phys- your body phys- must physiologically adapt. Yeah, no, you, you absolutely Change. Yeah. I've been here for 20 years, grew up in Michigan. So almost half my life in Michigan, almost half my life here in Arizona. And I'm completely lost all of my cold blooded or cold weather instincts and abilities. Yeah. It's like, I've gotten hardened to the heat and way more sensitive to the cold, which honestly, like is a little bit of an identity crisis for me. So yeah, you might have to be my therapist later. <laughs> <laughs> Your weather therapist. All right. So it's been cold. You know, it's been, it's been dry. You know, we've been hoping all along that, well, we expect that I, I, I suppose that w- it was more likely than not that we'd see, you know, a dry, dry winter, given the fact that we're about three quarters of the way through the winter in terms of, uh, of rainfall and, and snowfall, but it's going to be hard pressed for us to, to get near average, you know, as of, you know, the first week in March, Tucson is close to 50% of its average. You know, Phoenix is a little bit more than that. Flagstaff is maybe faring the best. It's still below average around, let's say, I'm I'm eyeballing these right now, but maybe 80% of, of, of average so far. Las Cruces is, you know, 70, 75% of average. So in that vicinity and Albuquerque is kind of the big, the big loser so far of, of, of the major Southwest cities. You know, it's it's only experienced uh, about half an inch, a little bit more than half an inch, and it typically gets you know at this time of year, 
about two and a uh, two and a quarter inches. So quite a bit of of below average conditions up there. So you were trying to paint this with a little bit less of a of a of a of a dark paintbrush by by saying that well at least we've gotten rainfall sort of distributed throughout the throughout the winter even though it has been below average. So take us through a little bit of the conditions in the last month, let's say, but you can go back further if you want to, that have led to the sort of cooler, windier and drier conditions. Trying to be um, a little more glass half full on like thinking about this winter. We kind of rag on the the ENSO forecasts, but they, they do generally work, right? I mean, we, we can get some blips here and there, especially for La Nina winters across the Southwest. So, so knowing that we're going into a second La Nina winter, it just didn't spell great news for the Southwest, knowing that we're going to run into that. The, I think the monsoon season was such a boon to us, um, but it wasn't going to solve all of our drought problems. And so having this second La Nina winter really did spell some trouble as far as precipitation. So we were pretty excited about the precip that we got in December. I think that that was a real surprise and that put down some above average precip for some decent swaths of, it didn't hit everybody in the Southwest, but it, I think it really helped. It's kind of early in the season. January is very dry. And then February hasn't been a whole lot going on here. We did end up having one, well, two precip events. There was an event, um, well, New Mexico got some precipitation early on in February and it completely left out Arizona. So it's kind of an interesting, it cut, cut the Southwest in half, just, just the way that the storm system moved through the Southwest would just favored New Mexico a little bit more. We got to the middle part of the month and we had another precip event right around the February 17th, pretty light parts of the four corners area, got some precip high country in Arizona and parts of Southeast. And that was about it. And then the biggest event of the whole month was when we had a, a pretty deep, cold storm system, pick up some um, moisture off of the East Pacific and dragged it inland and put down a pretty good amount of snow across the high country and decent precip amounts. This was right around the 23rd and 24th of the month. And uh, snowpack shot up in the northern part of the state pretty quickly with that event. That was about it. There wasn't much else going on. A strong ridge across the East Pacific. So there was a trough, a series, there was a kind of a, an average trough across the Western US, kind of work its way east, it would retreat back towards the west. So it kept us kept us with those average to sometimes below average temperatures, um, maybe brief warm ups in between. Largely, these were dry, inland, low pressure systems that would drop out of the Pacific Northwest, and they would we could feel it, right? You could feel the, the air dry out even a little bit more. The dew points fall a little bit more. Wind kick up out of the Northwest and you get that cold air. And we'd had some pretty cold nights with that too over the last month. So just to kind of, kind of reiterate what you're feeling there is, yeah, it's been pretty dry, cool, and windy for the last 30 days across much of the Southwest. And there you have it. <laughs> <laughs> Southwest climate outlook. It's not even the outlook. It's the, it's the hind look. Well, we can, we can make that the outlook, I think. Was there anything unexpected about the weather here that um, maybe caught you by surprise? Or, you know, now that you've been, you know, 25 years here or thereabouts, like this is sort of, I mean, it feels a little bit like a ho-hum kind of, kind of normal-ish 
you know, slightly below normal-ish season so far. I mean, not unexpected. There's no, you know, we haven't tilted one way or the other. We love the extremes, you know, obviously, because we get something to talk about. But, you know, it just kind of feels like the a, a pretty ho-hum kind of winter so far. Yeah. I So, okay, there's a couple of things that I always worry about going into these La Nina winters because we've lived through some really epically bad, bad La Nina winters in the early 2000s where we can end up having a ridge of high pressure, like is over the East Pacific, but it moves inland over the West. It's hot. It's hot like through the whole winter. You know, we're in the 80s, um, you know, December, January, February, which for Tucson is pretty insane. And then it's very dry too, right? So you got both of those things. So this, this winter, you know, you get itchy, you know, you got a La Nina coming. So this one, the fact that it's been that we had the December rally of precipitation is, you know, kept it out of the worst case scenario. And the fact that temps have been somewhat moderate, I think has helped with snowpack ever so slightly, which is still not great anywhere. <laughs> and I'm trying to, we're trying to paint this again. It's the season's going to be in total quite dry in many locations but it won't be the driest on record and it certainly won't be the warmest on record. So it's, isn't that sad that that's all I can, I can kind of scrape together. Yeah, but I, I have at least a, a counterpoint to that. I hate to bring this up, but oh. I was just thinking, and I only did this for Tucson and I don't think it's the case everywhere, but I was just looking at, you know, last winter was um, one of the drier winters on record in Tucson, for example. So looking at the November, December, January, February, March, and April, monthly total last year 1.4 inches of rain right so that's that's eighth driest so this is at the international airport for those six months 2021 experience 1.4 inches of rain this year you know if in fact we do not get any more rainfall for the next two months which you know admittedly is maybe unlikely but we also don't expect to get a lot of rain. You know, we'd come in at, at, at 10th driest uh, in Tucson. So as of right now, the airport's only experienced 1.8 inch, inch, inches of rain. So then the counterpoint, Mike, is if you were to look at these winters, the, the driest back-to-back winters on record, and if we don't, if Tucson, Southern Arizona does not get any more rain, we're going to be the, the it's going to come in at the, the second driest back-to-back winter on record. I feel, I feel stupid, like, trying to find um, the extremes to talk about. But, but, I, but I think the point here is that it, while it's, it's not been you know, a, a, a top five, top, top five, so to speak, uh, dry winter. I mean, when you look at this in conjunction with, with last winter, the, the back-to-back winter is pretty, pretty bleak. Yeah, lucky we got, had the third wettest monsoon in, in between those. So <laughs> the double dip La Niñas are never good news, right? For the southwest you know 11 12 was a, a double dip bad for us down here i do think what makes this situation different is having that monsoon precip in between and, and again that didn't even happen everywhere across southwest too so yeah i'm trying to i'm trying to maybe uh polish this up a little bit too much it's it's not a great situation as you said we're into march now we're running out of time it's harder and harder um, as we get towards April to get any sort of meaningful precipitation, we're kind of running out of the core of the season here. I think maybe it's worth like thinking about 
the snowpack around around the southwest. And obviously that sort of mirrors rainfall. But I guess there's like something that's surprising to me. So if you looked at the West in general, most of the area, let me let me let me call up the map here. So looking at sort of the last four months of so beginning in November, much of the West, with the exception of parts of the Colorado Rockies and the Northern Rockies in Montana and a little bit in, in Idaho and the Pacific Northwest, outside of those areas, there's been below average rainfall and, 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 and snowpack. And that's also with, you know, a really wet December that had, as you mentioned, had we not experienced that those atmospheric rivers in December, it would it, we'd probably have be having a slightly different, we would be talking about the extremes, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. But December is pretty big, but, but I was looking at snowpack and yeah, it largely mirrors that same pattern. But I think what struck out to me was the snowpack conditions looking at a basin level are not as below average as I would have otherwise thought. Largely parts of Colorado um, where there has been above average precipitation are near average or slightly above average. Um, but even those places uh, where the experience below average precipitation, it's it's close to average. And that pattern is, is it's broadly across the West. And I think probably what's going on here is we have just had kind of a cooler than average January and, and, and February that has allowed those snowpack that maybe part of it dropped in, in the early parts of, of the winter and December in particular have la- allowed those snowpacks to persist. So I think the, the, the fact that it has been colder, that, that, that trough that you were talking about before has been somewhat, even though it's been dry and ha- hasn't um, generated rainfall, it's also been cold. So some of that, that trough activity has given um, the central Rockies a little bit of precip over the last 30 days, some real isolated pockets of even average precipitation. So just like you said, it's, it's been getting some subtle pulses of precipitation and it's been in an on average, average temp to cooler than average kind of temperature regime, which again, it's, it's really different than we're talking about before is if we had a, you know, kind of a La Nina winter with the, the ridge over the Western US, we wouldn't have any of that, right? We would have above average temperatures and, you know, zero precipitation for much of the Southwest and your mountain West. So if you're going to do La Nina, this is slightly better, right? And I think the snowpack is reflecting that. I mean, we've seen worse snowpack at this time in the uh, lower and the upper Colorado River Basin. But again, it's nothing to write home about. Every time we get into a La Nina winter, I just like, can it be over with? As we get through it, I just try to like look on the bright side as much as possible. All right. So you have to help me figure something out. We're going to do this on on the fly because I want to focus maybe a little bit on the sort of regional atmospheric pattern, the the high pre- the, the ridge that we were talking about and the and and the sort of trough, which are really their position, a subtle change in the position of where these troughs are matter quite significantly. So we've had, yeah, we've had this trough sort of diving down into the Southwest, but it's been driving down inland, right? And so consequently, like you you can just envision that as it's moving down and like cooler air will be to the north of 
the trough of that of, of, of that of that wave. Because it's been inland, it's also been dry. But if you were to move that sort of trough westward, right, you just get you're more able to pick up moisture from the subtropics. And so the 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 pattern where these highs and lows sort of prominently feature in any one season is pretty consequential to our overall, what, what, what the climate ultimately looks like. So then I sort of went into this deep dive into this, these overall patterns, like ENSO has a particular expression, but also at sort of a, a monthly timescale, people look at the Pacific North Atlantic pattern, the PNA, which also has an expression of basically during El Nino events, it tends to look a little bit more like a low pressure system, kind of what we've experienced, whereas a high is focused over the Alaska. And I'm, I'm just trying, I'm, I'm having a hard time, I think, understanding how this Pacific North Atlantic pattern relates to ENSO and vice versa. That's a, not a very great lead in question. <laughs> it just does, Zach. It just does. <laughs> so, you, so you led with this idea of the Pacific North America pattern, right? And so, the so these are modes in the atmosphere. They're they're patterns in the atmosphere that tend to show up on weather maps. Discernible patterns that show up on weather maps more frequently than than not, right? So, if we think about looking at daily weather maps. You know, you could assume that there's no repeatable patterns, right? That it's just constantly moving and it's all kind of crazy chaos and there's no repeatable patterns. But we know from research going back decades now that weather's noisy and those daily weather patterns certainly do continually move around, but sometimes they can get stuck in certain patterns that repeat themselves, right? One of those patterns, given its name, the Pacific, the Pacific Ocean and North America is called Pacific North American Pattern. And it's a, it's a pattern that um, is, if you were to kind of look at a weather map, you, you'd end up seeing in one phase of that pattern would be a strong low pressure system over the North Pacific, right? We call the Aleutian Low up by Alaska. And then when you have a low pressure system, then typically what you'll see is, especially if it's a strong low pressure system in the upper levels, you'll see a ridge on the other side of it, right? So you get a wave pattern that goes, dips to the south, rises to the north, and that would be over um, kind of Western North America and Canada. And then that, that wave pattern continues across the Northern Hemisphere. So it's strongest from the East Pacific, North America, and then there's typically a low pressure system over the Southeast US, right? So that's the, that is the, the positive Pacific North America pattern index, right? And so we can give it a number. And so when it, when the weather pattern looks like that pattern, the daily weather pattern looks like this average pattern, we can give that an index number. And so it's, if it's positive, it's more correlated with that pattern. And then it can flip around as well. So let's, let's hold there. So under that pattern, the low around the Aleutians and the high intermontane West, that is a pattern that favors what? for us favors dry and warm it's kind of weird because the the pattern the centers of action right the, of the pattern are really up over the the north pacific and then up over there's sort of a strong 
connection to the Pacific Northwest and up over Canada, and then the Southeast US too at the same time. So in this particular positive pattern, the Southwest can actually end up having wet conditions. And so the, the positive PNA tends, we tend to see more of positive PNA patterns during El Nino winters. And so those, what that is, is it, this is, we also call split, split flow. So there's a, a real strong meridional latitude, mid-latitude jet, but then there's also typically a strong subtropical jet underneath that. And the subtropical jet is, is underneath this positive PNA pattern that would funnel in those really wet storms during an El Nino winter. Right. But we haven't had a split jet. This, this no, split. we have not. We have not seen many, if any, splits this, this winter. But and we have, we have had this positive phase being more persistent this winter since the new year than, than not. I believe. Right. right. And it's, but it's weak, weekly positive. So this is the, this is the thing about indices that is imperfect is that when the weather daily weather patterns don't really match the index very well, like there's other stuff going on, the index values are usually weak. So it's hard to interpret them when they're low, right? It just means that they're not, it's like a low correlation, right? But right. Okay. You, point, you pointed out in December, we actually had an extremely negative PNA pattern, which is um, the opposite, right? So that would be- So a, tell us about the negative pattern. Okay, so negative pattern would be a strong ridge of high pressure over the East Pacific, um, reaching up into Alaska, a broad trough of low pressure system across the Western US, and then a ridge over the Eastern US. That kind of, that syncs up with the couple of those wet spells we had across the Southwest in December, right? Because we, we did end up having a deep trough of a series of deep troughs of low pressure system, but they were deep enough that they actually, and their position that they reached into the Pacific and were able to pull some moisture up into the Southwest. So that's where you can get like a La Nina winter, which tends to have more negative PNA events actually give you some precipitation. If you were doing a summary let's say a climate summary for a month, and you wanted to sort of get a quick look at what you thought the weather, you know, before looking at precipitation and temperature, let's say, would you look at this pattern? Would you look at the, the Pacific and, and try to understand? Because it's going to tell you, generally speaking, where those highs and those lows are, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's it's shorthand, right? It's It's shorthand for, if you had a global weather map, right? It's hard to describe that, right? And so this, it's just using these indices as a way of shorthanding a pattern that you see that would have some sensible weather impacts on a particular region. And as we were talking about earlier, the Southwest, it, the PNA isn't a, isn't a perfect way of describing the weather we would see during the winter. The correlation between PNA and the weather in the Southwest is not super strong. It does lean in certain directions, but it's not like the, the index doesn't perfectly linearly correlate with the precip that we would see, you know, in any given month. You, so you'll see, I don't know if you've ever looked at them, but the, so you see the National Climatic Data Center is now the National Center for Environmental Information. Every month, they will write up a synoptic discussion for the previous month. And they, they talk in terms of indices, right? And so that's, if you go back to December, 
the 2021 December discussion, the key drivers for the month for the continental U.S. were La Nina and a negative PNA pattern. That's what they're that's what they're talking about. All right. So then they go back to my my lead-in question for this, which but the relationship between ENSO and PNA, there is a relationship there. And I think like what I was getting confused with today is that this these PNA, this PNA pattern is an expression that has a pretty high variability, like it can change week to week or by week to by week. It's largely picking up more of a weather time scale. Whereas ENSO is, is slower moving and it's more on a seasonal time scale. And so there's a little bit maybe of a of a of a different, you know, climate versus weather kind of thing that I was confusing, but they're but they are related, right? Yeah, yeah. So ENSO tends to nudge the PNA into a particular state, um, but it's not a very strong nudge, right? You're, yeah. you're looking at me a little bit uh, with googly eyes. No, no, you're, you're, you're spot on, right? And it's just like you were distinguishing, it's PNA is an index calculated on daily weather maps, largely, and ENSO is a s- very slow moving sea surface temperature pattern anomaly driven phenomenon, right? So it's, it's the, when we think about El Nino Southern Oscillation and La Nina versus El Nino, what we're looking at is we call like heating anomalies, right? So it's where the warm water is, the unusually warm water is across the Pacific. And where that warm water is, it's gonna drive thunderstorm activity or what we call anomalous convection. And they're big clusters of thunderstorms at the equator and where those are and where they're unusually active starts to impact the weather patterns in both the Northern and Southern hemisphere. And ENSO is a movement meridionally, right? So it's, a, it's from East to West uh, across the Pacific Ocean from El Nino to La Nina phases. And so where that heating anomaly is, is gonna then impact the mid-latitude jet stream in the Northern hemisphere on average through the whole season. And then can nudge the atmosphere over time to get into these preferential patterns, right? Like, like PNA, but there's other stuff going on too, right? Cause that, that heating anomaly, it's not a monolith and it's not a block that shows up every day. We have things like the Madden-Julian oscillation, which can in, enhance that or, or destructively interfere with that. And then there's all sorts of other things going on in both hemispheres, weather-wise, you know, internal variability, and then just sort of the the chaos in the system upstream effects that will translate downstream. So I think to your point, the phase of ENSO, El Nino, El Nino tend to push the atmosphere or nudge it slightly, push is probably too strong of a word, right? Nudge it slightly to, to end up giving you more kind of PNA positive events or PNA negative events. But even like we saw this winter, to point it out, December was very negative PNA, which is very La Nina. And then January was actually kind of weekly PNA positive. So it wasn't quite the, the canonical thing that you'll see. So it'll be interesting to look at the average PNA over the December, January, February season. It probably will be slightly negative just because the values in December were so negative. And then the, the, the pattern will hold true. 
So <laughs> I don't know how yes. satisfying that is. No, that was cool. It's the weather uh, versus climate timescale thing we're dealing with. Yeah, and it it, it was cool because I always like to think about I always like to think about these teleconnections through like, well, what's what's the mechanism, right? So you've yeah, got yeah. you've got El Nino or excuse me, you've got La Nina, like sort of like associated with sort of a westward, more focused area of convection, you know, and it's so as that convection is is more west in the tropical Pacific, that's where the 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 rain is and it's and and that rain is is injecting a lot of heat into the into the atmosphere which then sort of influences the position of this pacific jet to its north like that's coming that's streaming out of like japan right and it causes that jet stream to actually the 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 position of its strength to actually move westward Right, which then has a downstream effect on where the the this high pressure uh, um, area is. That's that's part of how we describe the Pacific North American pattern. Right, so it becomes because of that westward retraction of the jet stream. This position of the, the high pressure forms more often, you know, off the off Alaska, off the the Aleutian. Uh, right south of the Aleutian, but 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 also into into Alaska, and so yeah, you can see how all these things sort of sort of relate. But I but I think to your point also, it's yeah, there's a whole bunch of other things going on. So I was just pulling from a a recent paper, 2019 paper, by a number of of, of Chinese authors from the Journal of Climate uh, says contrastive influence of ENSO and PNA on variability and predictability of North American winter precipitation. And you know they sort of note that the the relationship between ENSO and PNA, the, the statistical relationship, ENSO is sort of influencing only about twenty nine percent of the variability of PNA. So it's not a it's not a trivial amount. It's it, it's quite a bit. But yeah, there's a whole bunch of other things going on as well. Yeah, and it's 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 a way of trying to connect because right because we can only the forecasting part of the seasonal forecasting is that. The sea surface temperature anomalies are huge and slow moving, right? So, so that you can anticipate where they're going to move and how they're going to evolve over long time periods, right? And then, and then you've to get to what's the precip going to look like in the southwest six months later in the winter is all about weather. So it's going to be these events, and so this that's kind of a link right is that if you can understand the pna pattern connection back to enso exactly it's going to give you this little bit of a lean towards okay well if we do get into this pna positive or negative pattern it's going to going to give you a tilt on the odds towards this kind of sensible weather versus this but it's not going to be perfect right and it's that's where we get into the what's so far off. anomalies and that kind of stuff i mean I, that's what i think is amazing it's just we're we're talking about changes that are happening both at the in the ocean on the ocean surface and the atmosphere in the tropical pacific ocean that is bridged through these mechanisms of heat transfer in the upper atmosphere and these fast moving winds you know off the in the jet stream uh, that's ripping off of japan and that manifests into you know higher pressure areas or in lower pressure areas all the way in into you know, into the Southwest, which are directing storm tracks. Yeah, and it's absolutely. A, it's a yeah. cool, it's like just a, it's just really fascinating to see how all these things link. And yeah, you're like, 
over thousands of miles and chaotic atmospheric system, like you can't expect there to be perfect, perfect conversion. Yeah. It's just amazing. I always find that interesting. I always try to like think about how, what's actually pulling the strings as opposed to just the abstract indices that, you know, PNA describes or that endo, ENSO describes what's the f- physical reason for that, for those patterns to emerge. During the winter time, what you're kind of pointing out is that we've got these, these heating anomalies at the equator, the Northern hemisphere is cold, right? So there's a sharp temperature gradient from the equator to the poles and it's it's actually further south than it would be during the summertime. And that's what gives rise to the jet stream pattern that emerges over the West Pacific. And like you said too, is that that temperature gradient can extend or retract the jet position. And then the wave activity that occurs downstream is what impacts us. It's the same kind of dynamics when we talk about in the fall, when we see typhoons uh, emerge in that area. And they get absorbed into the jet stream and they create the really crazy wave patterns that we'll see in like late September and October. So it's like, yeah, it's why we're, you know, we're, we, we have to look all the way across to the other side of the world uh, and pay real close attention to that because it ends up coming downstream. All right. So that sort of alludes to what we think about, you know, the next couple months, you know, as we wind down this, this winter, you know, most of our all of our rain in the Southwest largely comes, you know, before the month of May. I mean, maybe we get a, we get a surprise in May, but waning, waning possibilities here for, for precipitation. We're probably locked into a, a, a drier than average winter for the most part, but there's, you know, still some wiggle room as to how dry we, we actually get. And so um, La Nina has been, it's crystallized. It's in the books now, you know, five consecutive three month overlapping months of below average sea surface temperatures, which is the, the, the NOAA definition for, for making it in as an official El Nino or La Nina. We now have had a, a La Nina event, a back-to-back La Nina event. It was weaker, Mike, than last winter's La Nina. Which is pretty um, typical with double, double dips. Yep. Double dips. Second one tends to be less strong or weaker than, than, than the first one. So that's following, you know, the, the pattern, but, um, Mike, are, are anything on the horizon that can change maybe the outlook? No, <laughs> no, the, the, the La Nina, as you, as you mentioned, is it's waning, but even if it was over today, the atmosphere still takes a, a couple of months to catch up. And we're also moving into our climatological dry season down here because the jet stream starts to retreat north with the higher sun in the Northern hemisphere, storm track retreats north pretty quickly over the next couple of months. So we're just running out of time. And it, I think, like you said, we're probably locked into here. The, the outlooks um, for the next two weeks, three to four weeks, one month and three months, all solid increased chances of below average precipitation. Doesn't mean we won't get another like stray, you know, precip event, but it, it just, it's probably not going to be a run of five of them. And it's not going to be anything that provides much catch up. So the monsoon then we'll look for oh, the monsoon or I, yeah, I'm feeling it, man. I'm feeling it. <laughs> there you have it. It's going to be uh, probably a dry winter, maybe a cooler than average winter too. I mean, maybe that's part of the story. And I think the snowpack conditions aren't as bad as it otherwise could have been. If we, we, we would have actually had a, 
you know, that high pressure ridge more centered over the area. And, and, uh, and so maybe that's a little bit to take, to take away a little, little optimism to take away. So we'll have to see how that plays out in the next, in the next month or month or two. But uh, do you really think cooler than average temperature? I, no, I don't think actually. <laughs> I um, mean, I'm I mean, really it's impressed. Possible, it's possible. You know, yeah, but, I don't know, man. I, I think, I think it's, it would have to be epically cold the rest of this month. And the outlooks actually put us right back above average um, here too. So it wouldn't have to be epically cold. I don't think. Like, you don't think so? Well, where are we currently in terms of average? All right. So I've got the November through February temperature departure. I think you might be right. So, so Arizona's February uh, anomaly was 0.3 degrees below average. This, <laughs> this is what I'm saying is when it, when the temperature is average here, it feels cold because the trend has been so strong here. Yeah. And I'm looking at the November through February map and, you know, 90% of Arizona is, has been one degree Fahrenheit above average. And some areas, particularly like the higher country have been, you know, three to four to five. So, so, so the, the official ranking for Arizona, November through February, it was the seventh warmest. November through February. Three, yeah, 3.3 3 degrees. What about, what about the last two months? Uh, the last two, 39th warmest, 1.4 degrees above average. Yeah. It's funny, though, if you were to look at that in the last, let's say, what's the ranking in the last 20 years, right? I mean, like the, part, of the, part of the problem with this is that we're, we're looking at it in the context of a, of a very changing climate. Yeah. It's and so all of these, all of these, you know, recent winters will, will be much above what they were sort of in the early part of the record. So yeah. the rankings, but I'm just curious, like has February and, uh, and January, it's probably been cooler than it has been, you know, in the last 10 years during those. Oh, months. Yeah, I totally, totally agree with you on that. But, but, but there's a subtle point here. We're maybe arguing about like a few, like a, a half a degree Fahrenheit or maybe a, a degree Fahrenheit. But, but when we're talking about snowpack, that actually really matters quite a lot um, because it changes the average position of, of, of the snow line. Yeah. You know, and yeah. like that one degree Fahrenheit change can lead to, let's say it, uh, it's, it's one degree Fahrenheit cooler, you know, quite a bit of area that has snow on it compared to if it was if it was warmer so so arizona february temperature was probably the second coolest in the last 10 years and i bet you january and february together was maybe even close to the coolest because they were both they were both below average no interestingly january and february yeah, second second coolest in the last ten years or so. So it's actually 2019 was was cooler, which was which is interesting. I don't quite remember that. It's not going to be a cooler than average winter. You're right. You won, Mike. All right. That's all. That's all I come here to do. Is that what you wanted? Why else do we do this? You feel good about yourself now? I okay. do. I just I need to bring somebody down and feel good. All right. So maybe we'll come back. You know, in a month, and it'll be a good time to sort of recap where we stand with respect to fire. Cause that's the sort of next major season that we're, we're moving into and the, and the heat season. 
the water situation in the Colorado is not good. <laughs> so, so we're going to, well, we can talk a little bit more. Um, it's probably we, worth, worse than the Rio Grande too. Yeah, I think that's probably right. The, the Arizona situation, the snowpack is not great either. Some of the smaller, like the salt and the Gila are not good. Um, and there's been quite a bit of reporting too, which you know a lot more about than I do, but like the, the levels in Lake Powell are getting really close to Deadpool cease of operations. But again, it's, this is ahead of the inflows from this season. So it'll be interesting to see what that looks like later this spring. Yeah. I don't, maybe we should just recap a little bit of the stream flow for the Colorado, but you know, the, the stream flow forecasts, you know, are calling for about 75% of their, their average. So that's, that's, a pretty bad situation, but they're lower on the, the Rio Grande. So I think, you know, it's funny, I, people pay much, most attention to the Colorado river, but the, the Rio Grande is like persistently running at like really low stream flows. And um, it's, it's a much less prominent, I think river, but yeah. uh, critically it's, it's important similar issues as the Colorado river. No, I, I completely agree. We should, let's try to spend a little more time on the Rio Grande um, in kind of a future podcast, but kind of pick apart the water situation a little bit more. Well, and let's let's start out with a, a tour around of snowpack around uh, the southwest and 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 to the north because April first is sort of the the key date, and we'll be we'll be just after April first probably when we we give the next podcast, and that April first is historically like the peak of the, of the accumulation of snowpack in the, in the, in the mountains. And so that's every, from, from then on, if you look at the hydrographs um, and the cumulative snowfall, it sort of, it sort of falls off. So we'll do a tour around different basins of, about what the conditions look like then. We'll start it off with that. Mike. Sounds good. All right. Well, enjoy yourself. Thanks, Zach. Good talking with you. Oh, thanks for pulling up. I was a terrible lead into the PNA, man. I don't know. <laughs>